Thank you. Keep a Bible this morning. Turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 5. I want to introduce to you today your enemy. He's found here in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. I don't spend a great deal of time teaching or preaching on the enemy, because I believe the majority of my time needs to be focused on Jesus, preaching about him. But it is the Lord that directed me to this passage and included this in his word because he wanted us to know this. And so this morning, follow along, if you would, in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. I'll pray and then share with you what God's laid on my heart. Verse number 8, Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. I want to preach a message. I've entitled it, It's a Jungle Out There. I want us to pray and ask God for his leadership this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we can come running to you. We can find our strength and our protection in you. And Lord, you've told us here in your word a little bit about the adversary. He who is determined to destroy us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the insights we need this morning to better equip ourselves for the spiritual battle. Lord, would you meet with us, please? Holy Spirit of God, would you do a work in our hearts and lives and give to us what we need today, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have such an appreciation for those who have served or are serving in the military. Some of them in this very room are veterans, people who have served the military, and my hat goes off to you, and I thank you for that. I never served in the military, and uh, part, of me, part of me regrets that. I wish that I would have had that opportunity in some respects, because you learn things in the military, you learn no other way. I understand that. But the other part of me says, well, you idiot, don't want to be, be in the military. <laughs> I had the privilege of going to Bible college. And there was some real warfare going on there, I guarantee you for sure. In the military, you study and you learn and prepare to defeat the enemy. The whole intent is to be, to, to ready you, to, to make you ready to fight whatever enemy comes against you. And yet somehow in our Christian circles, we have entered into it with a passiveness. Feeling like, well, just, we're, we're just going to be nice. Just, we need to be good to everybody. We just need to be nice. And that niceness, I think, for some of us, has carried over to how we treat the devil. 
He's okay, I'm okay. As long as it doesn't bother me, we're good. And I tend to think that once he gets us in that mental frame, he's as much as one. There's three imperatives or commands in these two verses. Be sober, that's a command. Be vigilant, that's a command. And resist steadfastly, that's a command. So these are not suggestions. God has said you must do these things. You must be sober, you must be vigilant, and you must resist steadfastly. Your adversary, he said, is walking about. He's just free to roam. Could be anywhere. He's just free to roam this earth. Freely. He could be in here this morning. He could be at the church around the, around the place or all over, all over Loveland. He could be in the churches this morning. He said the reason you need to be, be sober, be vigilant, and resist is because you don't know but what he is right next to you. Reason number two is because the same afflictions are accomplished in your brother and they're in the world. So what's it mean to be sober and vigilant? Well, the word sober here, yes, it, it means not being drunk in alcohol, yes, but it also means to be discreet, to be watchful, have your eyes open, to be clear-headed, that's what I wrote down, be able to think straight, to be clear-headed. Now, now, I cannot speak to the effects of alcohol personally. Praise God, I, I have never been drunk. I don't, under, I don't know personally, but I have talked to so many drunks, I know from their perspective what it must be because they've told me what, it, what, it, what it's like. Because when, once you start getting tipsy, no longer are you thinking as clearly as you were. But the problem is, they tell me, most times they don't know, they don't recognize that they're not thinking as clearly. So they may make some very foolish decisions, but think they are in total control. So the, the command here is to be clear-headed. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. We need to watch even when those around us are not. When all the rest of Christendom, all the other Christians are just floating along, just, just being passive about everything, somebody needs to watch. Somebody needs to keep their eyes open and realize that there is a determined devil out there, and he doesn't play fair. He doesn't wait until you're prepared. Okay, I'm ready. No. He hits you when you're ill-prepared. He hits you at the last, the last time in the world you want to be attacked. It's when things are going bad for you, when everything's falling apart, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're already thinking about giving up, that's when he attacks. We're to watch when others don't. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We are to watch, keep our eyes open, as believers, notice, with faith and love. I found that interesting, how he brought those in to our watchfulness. We're to watch with faith and love. But we're watching for the enemy. We're watching just in case he's around a corner. 
just in case he's going to attack our family, just in case he's going to attack our church. We're watching, but with faith and love? I would say we're to watch with a heavy arsenal of weapons. We're, we're to watch and be prepared physically, emotionally. But he said watch with faith and love. These uh, protections against the attacks of our day include being sober, which is keeping watch for evidences of the enemy working, faith, which is believing strongly in God and His promises. You see the importance of having faith in the battle? When, when the enemy's coming, how critical it is to have faith and to believe in God and His promises? And love, and here, is so critical because one of the reasons the enemy wants to attack is to destroy your ability to affect others for Christ. He wants to take you out of the battle so you can affect nobody positively for him. And so we are to watch with love, seeing people as God sees them, with love and compassion. That person that was so angry and bitter toward you, did you stop for a moment and consider what their life recently has been like? the troubles they have faced? Is it possible that that, that checkout person who, who just cursed you out, is it possible that the people before her have been so unruly and unkind to her? And salvation, the hope of salvation, he says, were to, were to keep sober, the breastplate of faith and love, and have a Helmet of salvation. This is remembering from whence you came. This is remembering that before you got saved and before God cleaned you up, you were a wreck too. Before God came into your life and got grace enacting in your life, you were no different. You behaved just like them. So we are to watch with faith and love. We are to watch even in trials. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. In those afflictions, as bad things are happening, as you're struggling, as you lose your job, as you have that note from the doctor that says you need to call me right away, as a friend turns on you. You need to watch in all things. When you get a raise at work, when you get a promotion, when the boss comes in and says, hey, everybody, I want to get your attention. I want everybody to know how good employee this person is. And they're talking about you. Watch. Watch. Watch thou in all things. And then in 1 Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. Now it's interesting, I looked at it. This word sober is actually a different word. But the word watch is the word translated sober in our text verse. The word sober here means to be of sound mind. 
And then we are to watch, or watch how? Um, prayerfully. We're to watch prayerfully. Many of you, like I did this morning, already bombarded heaven, asking Him for help, bringing requests to Him, and asking God to bless these services. Watching prayerfully. We need, we, need to, we need to watch. I remember a number of years ago, somebody coming into church and seeing me, and they walked over, and I could see they were upset. And they said, Pastor, you didn't wave at me. I said, excuse me? I said, I passed you on the road. I drove right by, and I saw you had your nose up, and you were looking straight ahead, and I was waving like this, and you never saw me. I... I, I I do that sometimes. I just think or zone out. I just happen to, I didn't, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you. And the truth is, we need to be watching. We need to watch. It's probably the best thing to, to watch when you're driving, you know. We, we need to be watching in life. The next word after being sober is to be vigilant. To be vigilant. Now, now, literally, it means to be alert. Boing, my eyes are open. Whoa, I'm really alert now. I drove, uh, I drove a, a van to our different drugstores when I was in college full of uh, cleaning supplies. We cleaned the floors. And one of our stores was a little over two hours away, two, hour, two and a half hours away. So I'd go to school all day, and then long about uh, 8 o'clock at night, I'd get to, get to the store, and get in the van, and we'd drive and then clean all night. And uh, so it was all... All my driving was done at, at dark. Well, I shouldn't have been driving because I was getting very little sleep during that time in my life because of school and work. And, and so here it is about 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.34, it's dark out. I'm driving the interstate, and uh, all of a sudden, I wake up. Now, notice I was driving. I wake up, and I look over, and I don't see anything on the left side of me at all. It's, it's, now, I know it's dark, but there's still lights around. Nothing. And then I realized that's because I was bouncing off of a semi over here. And it woke me up. Hallelujah. And I was alert for the rest of the trip home. <laughs> this being alert is so important. We need to keep our eyes open and alert. Why? Because the enemy is always alert. The enemy is just waiting for you to nod off spiritually. For you to think for just a moment that you're okay, you just take a little break. You don't need your devotions today. After all, you had the last seven days. What's one day going to hurt? You don't need to go to church today. My goodness, you went to church last week. Boy, I tell you what, the devil is just waiting. Waiting. Be alert. We are to be alert through the hard times. In Matthew 26, 38, Then saith he unto them, This is Jesus talking to his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here, tarry here and watch with me. Watch. He was asking his disciples to stay alert. Stay alert and pray. Guys, you have no idea the burden I'm carrying right now. But I need you to help me carry it. I need you to help bear my burden now and stay alert. And, of course, we know that they didn't. They went to sleep instead. Um, long about the time, the devil started this incredible plan 
of thrashing Peter with his denial, what was Peter doing? <laughs> Sleeping. When Jesus said, you need to stay alert. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. We need to watch resolutely. We need to watch on purpose. Not just, oh, I thought about it. Not just, okay, when it, when it happens. No, we need to purpose to watch. This is the kind of uh, watching we're talking about here. The kind of watching I did in college. When I was going to college and was married and had a child, and so I'm, I'm, I'm working nights and daytime going to school and barely eking out an existence. This is back in the days where minimum wage was $3 an hour. So that's how much I was making and, and had just barely enough each time to make my school bill and, and sometimes we'd come home and I'd say, what's for supper? We had to pray over food. We'd go to the cupboards and maybe find a couple potatoes. Those, those were hard days. And so oftentimes, not knowing how the next bill was going to be paid, how I was going to stay in college, we prayed, we prayed together, we prayed diligently. And then every day I would go to the mailbox, hoping against hope that there'd be a check. Somebody would, would send us a check. So as I walked out there, I was walking... <laughs> I was watching, very alert, very hopeful. And I think that's what he's talking about here in this. Be sober, be vigilant, keep your eyes open, expecting, expecting what? Expecting the enemy to attack. Expecting it. Not expecting him not to attack. We are to be sober and to be vigilant. Why? Because the devil is seeking its victims right now. As I'm preaching this message about him, he is seeking victims. Your adversary, he's your enemy, the devil. As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's your enemy, he's your adversary, he's on the other side. Zechariah 3.1, and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, this is in a vision, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. The devil was standing to resist the high priest. The man of God was being resisted in his attempts to serve the Lord. How? By his adversary. For he resists God's servants. In John 8, 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Notice, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. Why? For he's a liar and the father of it. He's your adversary. He's your enemy. You can't trust him. He will lie to you. He will lie. He does lie to you. You cannot trust him. Oh, you can do that and get by with it. Nobody's going to know. It's not going to hurt you. Everybody else is doing it. That's such a little thing. After all, you, you really deserve it. You deserve some me time now. And just to let your hair down and just... He's a liar. 
One cigarette won't hurt you. One marijuana joint won't hurt you. One pill won't hurt you. He's a liar. And you see, the devil is committed to his own will, not yours. Not the Lord's. Isaiah 14, 12 and through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, notice, the devil says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I, 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 I was pride that caused Lucifer to fall. He's your enemy. He's not a friend. The devil is your enemy. And he is aggressively seeking his prey. In Job chapter 2 and verse number 2, the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. He can go anywhere he wants. Right now, he can go anywhere. Free access. He's roaming the earth and he's looking for victims. Destroy, the devour, he says. And incredibly, the devil is getting more intense as he sees the day approaching. Revelation 12, 12, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And he's desirous of destroying you, you see, we somehow get the idea that he wants to just mess with us. He just wants to mess with us. He, he just wants to poke at us. Just, just like, just like a, a young boy in school wants to poke at a girl. He just wants to poke at us. Well, the Bible says he doesn't want to poke. He wants to pulverize. He wants to destroy. He wants you completely eliminated. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to shake you to see if he can cause you to lose your faith. Shake you. What's it going to take to cause you to not believe anymore? What's it going to take to cause you to believe that God doesn't really love you? If Satan touches your body and brings an illness, what's it going to take? How severe of a stomachache is it going to take for you to say, God, why are you doing this to me? In Mark 4.15, And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word, that was sown in their hearts. Notice, in the hard heart, in the hard path, the hard heart, Satan's right there. Boom. He's looking for hard hearts to steal the word of God from them. The end of, uh, or the middle of verse number 9, 
says, whom resist steadfast in the faith? Resist. It's one of the commands. We're to be sober, we're to be vigilant, and we're to resist. The word resist here means to stand against. Stand against. You see two professional boxers, and they take this stance. You see them planting their feet, and feet in boxing is so critical. What you do with your feet is so critical. That stance. Why? Because if you're leaning back on this leg, it, they could just push you over. And if you're leaning back spiritually, all the devil has to do is tap you, and you go fall. Or to stand, to oppose, to withstand, the Bible uses the term. In Galatians 2.11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. That I withstood him is this word, resist. I withstood him to the face. We don't see Paul squaring off with other believers very often, but here he did. He squared off with Peter. Why? Because Peter had visited Paul. They were out making some visits with some Gentiles. They were having a meal with some Gentiles. And wouldn't you know it, long come knock, knock on the door, and a bunch of Judaizers from Jerusalem show up. They show up. You know what Peter does? Immediately, he stands up, and he goes over, and he gets way away from the Gentiles. Because he doesn't want these, Jew, these Jews to see him fraternizing with these heathens. Paul said, what are you doing? What are you doing? How dare you? How dare you? These Gentiles have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're saved the very same way you are, and you're acting like they're trash. He withstood him to the face, resisted. In Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to, here's the same word, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. In the evil day, in that day in which Satan is having a heyday, you need to stand. But not just stand, you need to withstand. Be able to withstand his attacks. To stand against the evil one. How? With the armor of God. You see, the cause of Christ is going to be resisted. The cause of Christ has been resisted since the day of Christ. Since he was here. And is still being resisted today. Back in 2 Timothy 3.8, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood, same word, withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. These names are not in the Bible to find out who this Janus and Jambres were, to know who they were, but in other Jewish writings it identifies them as the two Egyptian magicians who stood against Moses before Pharaoh copying those miracles. Oh, oh, you can, you, can, you can make snakes? Well, watch this. And they throw their, their staffs down, and they make snakes. They were, re, they were magicians resisting the ministry of Moses. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 14 to 15, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, Paul said. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also. Notice, for he hath greatly withstood... Our words. 
this Alexander was standing against the work of Paul. When Paul would go into a city and he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, apparently this Alexander would follow in his footsteps and would tell the same people, you can't believe what that heretic is saying. You know you've got to be circumcised to go to heaven. You know you've got to have the works of the law to get to heaven. What's he thinking? This Alexander withstood him. He resisted him. The cause of Christ will be resisted. And we are to stand against the devil. In James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Same word, interesting. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand against the devil. Withstand against the devil. Take a stance against the devil. Resist him. Stand firmly against the devil after the previous verse, after submitting to God. It's been quite a while now, but I remember waking up on a Monday morning, and you know on your calendar that Monday follows Sunday. <laughs> Sundays can be exhausting. Remember that one particular Monday morning, I got up discouraged. The numbers were down. Wasn't seeing any real fruit. Didn't feel like the message connected. I was discouraged. I had a few minutes wallowing in that discouragement. And the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart and said, What are you doing? Are you doing this for you or for me? And I remember on that day a song coming into my mind. And I just started singing praise songs to the Lord. Just one after another, just started singing praise songs to God. Within a few moments, I hadn't thought about it. A few moments, the discouragement was gone. Where do you suppose that discouragement came from? Those accusations? That desire to focus on the negative instead of God? We're to stand against the devil. How are we to resist? Well, he tells us we're to resist steadfastly. We're to resist steadfastly. In 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. And the word sure here is the same word as steadfast. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So stand fastly, stand firmly on the foundation. Stand firmly on the foundation. Uh, we should steadfastly stand with grit and determination. Notice Hebrews 5.12, When for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teacheth you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of, here is the word, strong meat. It's translated strong here. Word steadfast, strong meat. Believers should be mature in their resolve, able to eat strong meat spiritually. We should be mature in our resolve, not like little children. Whatever happens to come along, they just kind of float with it. But by the time we're adults, we better start making some mature decisions that we're going to follow Christ that we're going to do right because it's right to do, that we are going to stand for God and godliness and let every wind of doctrine not blow us around. In Hebrews 5.14, be strong, same word as 
steadfast. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, maturity should produce a fortitude in us. A fortitude. A strength in standing. And then we are to resist how? In the faith. We're to resist in the faith. Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You see, faith is our shield. Faith is our shield. As the fiery darts from the evil one come our way, and they are darts designed to plant themselves deeply in your brain. Thoughts of discouragement. Thoughts of accusation. You're no good. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't have thought that. If you were really good before God, you wouldn't have done this or that. The fiery darts. What is our resolve to that? The shield of faith. What do you believe? What do you believe? Do you believe that you, in fact, are righteous before God? That before God, He sees you completely covered in the righteous robes of His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe you're a child of God? Do you believe that you have victory accessible in Christ? Shield of faith. The battle must be fought by faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And faith must not be lost. 2 Timothy 4.7 I fought a good fight, Paul said. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Interesting. I have kept steadfast. Same word. I have steadfastly kept the faith. In the last part of verse number 9, it says, Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, God, I believe, wants to use this as an encouragement to us. As we're going through hard times where the devil is attacking us, he said, I want to encourage you, you're not all alone. I want to be a source of encouragement to make you understand that what you're going through right now is not unique to you. If your ministry is under attack right now, understand, it's not the only ministry under attack. If you as a family are being attacked right now, you're not the only family being attacked. It feels like that. It feels when the enemy comes that you're all alone. But he says, no, you're not alone. He said, it is uh, the uh, same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. All those temptations, those trials, those accusations, all those the, the, the attacks of the enemy, it's common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, trials and temptations are simply a part of life. Did you wake up this morning? Guess what's part of your life today? <laughs> trials and temptations. If you expect to wake up tomorrow morning, guess what's in store for you tomorrow morning? <laughs> trials. Temptations. You're not alone. That's part of life. 
That's normal. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The godly should expect attacks, persecution. And then Hebrews 12 and verse 8, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You see, chastisement, being spanked, is part of the life of the believer. And if you're not getting spanked once in a while, then you better question whether or not you are a child of God. Because if ye be without chastisement, whereof we are all partakers, then you're not one of mine. I honestly expected, after, after coming here, taking on the pastorate, I honestly expected that for the, the numbers just rise and rise and rise. After all, you're incredible. This is an incredible church. I've said that since I first visited. This is an incredible church. I expect God to bless this church so abundantly. I'm just exploding. What to build new buildings and all. Expected that coming here. I wanted it. Now I wasn't about to share this with you, but can you imagine the stories I could tell around the country? That's what my church did. Guess what my church? My church is exploding. Let me tell you how many we had last week. Do you know how many baptisms we had last week? I don't tell them. God did some chastening in my heart. Reminding me that he said, I will build my church. I will build my church. It's not your church. It's his. I will build my church. Just get busy and serve me. Keep your heart right. Stay humble before me. And let me build the church. You serve me. I've learned that we're not the only church that got hurt during COVID. Across the country, in fact, across the globe, churches were, many of them, knocked out because of COVID. Most churches today are still barely hanging on. Though that doesn't solve the problem, it helps me understand that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We're not alone. You see, understanding this helps my prayer life. I've been praying a whole lot more for other ministries, realizing that they're under attack as well. We're going to continue begging the Lord and trying to reach folks for Christ. We were out door knocking yesterday. We're going to keep that up. You say, oh, but Pastor Adler, the results are so meager. And I agree with you. I'm embarrassed. 
I went by Pat's yesterday. Passed the lady I had the privilege of winning the Lord at the door here months and months ago now. When I did, I, I the tears are in her eyes and come out her cheeks when, we, when she prayed. And that doesn't happen very often, especially out here. But at the end of the conversation, she said that she had been diagnosed with a terminal brain cancer. And so I've been visiting her on a regular basis. And here a few weeks ago, Pat, in a wheelchair, showed up here and her family. Yesterday, I went by and visited Pat. And I can't always see her because sometimes she's not up for a visit. Had a great visit yesterday. And she asked me, Pastor, would you mind, would you mind um, baptizing my granddaughter? I said, oh, I'd be delighted to talk to your granddaughter. Well, her, on that day, some of you met her, but on that day, Pat's daughter came, and she's the one that pushed her in the wheelchair and stayed for the service. Come to find out, her, uh, her son-in-law and two grandkids actually came in, and they were in the children's program on that day. She said, would you baptize my granddaughter? I said, well, I'd be happy to talk to her. And then I got to thinking, how old is your granddaughter? She said, well, she's two. And then I had the privilege of sharing with her why we wait until a person understands when they can trust the Lord. And I went through the whole thing of salvation. Then I, she, she said, well, we're from a Catholic background. You know, until that day, I didn't know that. Well, that first day when I met her at the door, she trusted Christ. She's putting her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now she's going to heaven. Hallelujah. Every time I go by, we talk about it, and sometimes tears swell up her eyes. She's so glad that she has... Heaven is her home because she trusted Christ. Now we have an opportunity to minister to the family. Why? Results are meager. I'll grant it. I'll grant you. Last week. Last week. Two weeks ago. Last week. When did he come? I think it was last week. Anyway, uh, when I was late for choir. Was that last week? Yeah, late for choir. So the choir is up here, and I'm still talking out here. Why? Because, because, uh, because Noah came. What, over a long year ago, year and a half ago, I met Noah at the door. And after months and 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 months, and months, and months, and months, and months finally he bowed his head and trusted Christ. But he couldn't come to church because of care at home. He couldn't come because he had to watch his stepson. Well, last week he texted me and said that he was going to come. So he and his stepson were here for service. I figured I'd never see him again in church. <laughs> I tried to see him yesterday, but he was busy. This morning he texted me and he says, Pastor Outworth, I planned on being there today, but I woke up sick. What a blessing. What a blessing. What if I had gotten discouraged and given in to my discouragement and just stopped? And I said, Pastor Vanderhart, we're not going to go door knocking anymore. It doesn't do any good. We spend so many, we knock on so many doors, not interested, not interested, not interested, or not open the door at all. What if? So the results, what do you get, one in a thousand? <laughs> They're pretty meager, pretty slim. But don't you think it makes a difference for that one? It's a jungle out there. And there's a devil that's real. And no, he's not out there in a red suit and a pitchfork. He's real. And he's waiting for you to be vulnerable. 
because he wants to take you out through discouragement, by his lies, and he will if you don't find your strength in the Lord. I'm grateful that after today I'm going to refocus on God. But God said, you need for a moment to understand what you're up against. Now here's the deal. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's no question. He's already won the victory. The problem is, we don't access that victory. The problem is, we think we can do it in our own strength without him. So, let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, and thank you for this introduction once again to the evil one. Lord, remind us that he's our adversary. He's not a friend. He's the enemy. And I pray, Lord, that by faith you might give us the resolve to stand firmly, Lord, and to continue serving you with every ounce of energy we have until you return. Thank you for this time. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I don't know in which way, in what way, the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart this morning, but have you been listening to his lies, the devil's? Have you fallen prey to some discouragement, and in that discouragement, you've considered giving up? Have you not been willing to simply share the gospel because of lies of the evil one? What will they think of me? Would you this morning confess your weakness to Christ once again? And ask for his resolve. For you to stand fast against the enemy. God, you see our flock here and, and you know how vulnerable we can be. So help us, Lord, to find our strength in you. Help us to stay firmly standing against the evil one as we keep our eyes open to you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this time. Would you continue working in our hearts and lives? And we'll trust you for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.